0: they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Lord Jesus, you are alive. We know it. We worship you because of it. We are here solely for that purpose. Because if you are not alive, if you have not risen, then we are most helpless people. We are most despised and, and just dumb because we are worshiping someone who we believe to be alive. And so Lord, I thank you that you are, that you seated at the right hand of the Father, that you have ascended on high and that you are coming again and that you have been moving and working and changing lives for thousands of years, redeeming people, uh, rescuing people from their sin, saving people from an eternity without you. I pray as we celebrate, as we talk, as we worship again through singing, just exalt yourself through the preaching of your story, Lord Jesus. Please help me to be clear, uh, to be just true, and, and just by your spirit lead this, this talk. Uh, take away, add to, whatever it is, it's yours. It's your people, it is your church, it is your word, It is your everything. And I just wanna just kind of get out of the way and let you work and encourage your people. And so I pray you would do that. And I pray that even today, whether in this room or across Savannah or in the world, that someone would have their eyes open to the truth of the gospel, that people would come to faith in Jesus today and know that you are alive. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys, have a seat. All right, y'all are not quite as sinful as the 11 o'clock crowd because you woke up earlier, but you're not as holy as the eight o'clockers, I'm just telling you. Um, No, it was a great service, first service. This is gonna be a great one as well. Um, This is really the first year we, for those who don't know, we haven't been in our own building on Easter since 2011, so this is kind of fun for us. My name is Bill. If you're new, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's my privilege today to get to share with you guys a little bit. I promise you, I normally do not look like this. You're like, man, I'm way underdressed for this church. No, no, you're probably right on. Some, once a year, I'll put a tie on, all right? So, and today just happened. no, that's not true. I'll do it Mother's Day too, all right? But um, we usually are not kind of this dressed and nor are many of you, because I see some of y'all slackers and ties out there now that you're not usually, so. But we celebrate on Easter, because it's a big day for us. Easter is really for Christians The greatest day for us, it's our big day. Um, And we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. A couple weeks ago, my youngest son, Trip, came to me and said, Dad, can we see Zootopia? It's the greatest movie since The Lion King. Now, I have major theological problems with that statement. And I got all sorts of issues, okay? But let me just, my first thought was, who told you that? because you're seven and that move the lion king came out in 1994 most of my staff was wearing pull-ups in 1994 okay so I know there's major problems but who told you that who told you that it is the greatest film since the lion king well that's what the commercial said and that's when I realized I was a failure as a father Said, son, that, that TV screen lies to you. Okay, it lies to you. And, and, I, and I went to disciple him then and explain to him for many theological reasons why this film cannot be as great as The Lion King. Number one, the circle of life. It's a circle. We're gonna sing that after the sermon. No, we're not. Number two, Akuma Matata. Okay, and number three... And probably the greatest reason why The Lion King is better than any other movie that comes out, afterwards animated, is because Darth Vader is in the movie, okay? The the head lion is Darth Vader, in case you didn't know that. So there's no way that some Zootopia film, I am sorry, is greater than The Lion King. You say, what does all this have to do with Easter? I don't know. (laughs) Now, I was thinking about that, and, and I was thinking about Easter. Some of us say... Easter's the greatest. Maybe you're here and this is your kind of one time a year in church and we're glad you're here because it's Easter and I live in the South, right? And maybe you've heard Easter's the greatest. Maybe you've said Easter's the greatest. But here, what I wanna know is, do you know it? Or is it just a commercial that someone told you and you're just kind of repeating it? My goal for us in all three services today, as we walk out of the door, is that every single person whether they believe it or not, would at least know why Easter is for the Christian the greatest day. That you would know, that you would understand. And so what we're gonna do today, we're gonna do something a little bit different. Normally we open a book of the Bible, we work our way through that book of the Bible in one passage. We're gonna look at a couple different passages today. I wanna take you guys on a little adventure. Back in the greatest decade of all time, which is the 80s, the days of ALF and rolling your jeans up and big hair, there was a movie called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Not a great movie, I'm not saying it was. But in this movie, Bill and Ted, these two high schoolers, they go back in time and they go back in time in a time-traveling phone booth. Not a great story. I'm not, I'm not endorsing the movie here. So. But they, go, they have this time-traveling phone booth, and they go back at different pieces of history, and they have to write a paper or something, I don't even remember. But they have to learn about this piece of history, and this piece of history, and this piece of history, and they can put it all together. What I want to do today, since I'm Bill, is go on an excellent adventure. That makes you Ted. Keanu Reeves. Neo, I don't care, whatever, right? But that's, you're Ted, I'm Bill. Let's go on an excellent adventure and just kind of see just a few pieces of where this story comes from so we can put it all together. So you can see that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it's really all about the same thing. It it always has been, it always will be. So get in the phone booth, Keanu. We're going on an excellent adventure. And my goal here, y'all, is just so that you would see scripture as... is just new today. I know some of you have heard this story a thousand times. You came to church, you like, oh, I know that. I want you to see it with fresh eyes. These are real people, real events, and real time. I want you to do as best as you can, and I'll do by God's grace the best I can to take you there, but I want you to see it, okay? So put on your sandals, jump in the phone booth. Here we go. First stop in the phone booth. We're going back 2,000 years, and we find ourselves on the very first Easter. It is Easter Sunday, they don't call it Easter yet, but that's what it is. And we are going to be about a mile outside of Jerusalem. We're on a road, all right? And on the, it's a kind of a nice cool spring afternoon in Jerusalem. All right, early afternoon, we are leaving the city and we come upon three guys. And these three men are talking, two of the men are trying to explain to the third man all the bedlam that just happened in Jerusalem over the weekend. Because the third guy doesn't seem to know what happened. And so these two guys over here, as they're walking away, are are explaining to this third guy what, what all happened. Here's where we pick up in Luke chapter 24, verse 18, if you're following along with scripture. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said, oh, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's not the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. And some of us who were with them went to the tomb and found that, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So you get these two guys like, dude, have you been under a rock? Where have you been? Do you not know the bedlam and all this thing? They crucified him and, they, and now he's, and we don't know where he is and, and these ladies say he's alive and there's excitement but there's confusion and it's just, brah, don't you know these things? Don't you understand what, what has happened? And look at, at the third man's response in verse 25. And he said to them, oh foolish ones, a slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? And the, and the way it's worded in the original language, it's assumed, yeah, it was. Was it not necessary? Yes, it was. That the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He says, it was necessary for Messiah to suffer. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them, or he explained to them and all the scriptures, these things concerning who? Himself. And what we realize now is this third guy ain't just the third guy, he's Jesus. And they don't know it. And they're like, dude, don't you know about Jesus? He's like, I kind of do, but I'm not gonna tell you I do because it's him. And he says, and and here's what I want you to grab from this little scene, all right, is that, that Jesus himself says, it was necessary for me to suffer, It was necessary. And then he takes them all the way back to the beginning. Moses, if if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is 39 books. The New Testament is 27. And the Old Testament is just really everything that leads up to Jesus being born. And and Jesus takes these guys to Genesis, the very first book in Exodus, and he works all his way through the Old Testament. He's got a seven mile walk. They're going seven miles to a little town called Emmaus. He takes seven miles and he just explains from the Old Testament that the Messiah, him, had to die, that that was the plan all the way from the beginning. All right? That's what I want you to see at that little piece of, of history. All right? All right, Keanu, back in the phone booth. All right, and now we're going back three and a half years earlier and where we find ourselves now is as we step out of the phone booth you're standing by the Jordan River it's hot muggy and there's a big old crowd and there's a guy standing in the middle of the water he's wearing a leather jacket he's a rough looking dude he's yelling at everybody and he's once in a while, someone, he'll baptize someone, they'll dunk him under the water and he's pointing and he's saying all these things and he's saying things like, I baptize with water but, but someone's coming after me who is greater than me and he'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit and I'm not, un, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes and he baptizes another. And all of a sudden, there's a guy that steps out of the crowd and walks down into the water and it, it's the same guy we just saw on the Emmaus Road. It's this younger version, it's Jesus. And he goes and he has a kind of a private conversation. And John points to this man and he says this, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And then he baptizes him. And out of the sky, out of nowhere, this bird comes and lands on his shoulder. And then you hear this, this sounds like thunder, but it it also sounds like a voice and it said this, this is my beloved son and him I am well pleased. That's kind of a weird scene, right? I mean, let's think about what we've seen already. We've seen Jesus say he had to suffer. We see Jesus say this is the way it was from the beginning. Now we hear John saying that he is the son of God and even kind of weirder, the Lamb of God. That's, I don't, I don't get that. Maybe we need to go back a little further, Keanu. Figure it out. So they'll back into the phone booth, right? And as we step out this time, where are we? We are 1500 BC. That's a jump. We are in the Nile Valley now, in Egypt, in a little town called Goshen, here it is on the map. There's the Med above, you're in the Nile Delta and a little town called Goshen. And when you look around Goshen, you see poverty. What you realize is this is a land of slavery. 2.5 million Hebrew slaves and all they've known their entire life is slavery. All their dads have known as slavery. All their great granddads have known as slavery. All their great, great granddads have known as they have been slaves for 400 years. And they've been hearing little stories since they were a kid, bedtime stories about a deliverer and about a promised land and about being free. But I mean, it's been 400 years. But then this guy showed up. He showed up 40 years ago, but then he ran off into the desert. We didn't see him again, but he came back. He's got a beard now. He's got a staff. His name is Charlton Heston. (laughs) Or Moses in, in, in your Bible. And he's come back now and he's got his brother and he is doing miracles and there's plagues and there's been flies and sand gnats and Bloody Nile and and darkness and boils. And he's bringing judgment on Egypt. And here's the greatest thing about this. This is a crazy thing that we living in Goshen, we haven't been touched. I mean, it's dark everywhere else. It's light in Goshen. There's flies everywhere else, not in Goshen. There's sand gnats everywhere else, not in Goshen. We've been safe. And there's now this great hope. Maybe we will go free. Maybe we will be delivered. That's where we're at. And let's jump into the text in Exodus chapter 11. Let's see what happens. Verse one, the Lord says to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh, upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go. When he lets you go, he will drive you out completely. So there's been nine plagues. And now God says, after this 10th one, Moses, Pharaoh is not just gonna let you go, he's gonna drive you out of town. Well, what is this plague? Thus says the Lord at midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt every firstborn in the land shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill and all the firstborn of cattle I am coming through and the firstborn of everything will die this is and this is where this plague is different now All the first one, God's sending sand gnats, he's sending frogs, he's sending this, he's sending that. This time though, it says God himself is coming down in the midst. God himself is gonna come to judge. And the first time Egypt, the Israelites and the Hebrews were, were exempt. They were safe. Not anymore. Now everybody is in danger, even the Hebrews, because God's judgment is coming. And there is only one way for them to escape. There's only one way for them to be safe. How is it? He tells them. He says, tell the congregation of Israel on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. We saw that language earlier, right? We saw a lamb. Yeah, maybe it relates, maybe it doesn't. But take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Basically he says this, take one lamb for your house. And if your house is too small, then you can go next door and you guys can share a lamb as long as everyone has enough to eat. That's how you judge how much. So one lamb for one house, but it can't just be any lamb because we got, you know, you could say, well, I got this lamb and he's got like two legs missing and he's got one ear. that's kind of like crusty and one eye that like hangs out and we call him Hank. Okay. And we just keep him around because, you know, Hank's a good sport. So we'll offer Hank the lamb. You can't offer Hank the lamb. You should have put Hank down a long time ago. Your lamb, it says, has to be without blemish. It's gotta be a a pure lamb. It's gotta be a male. It's gotta be a year old. Take it from the sheet of the goats. But here's what you do. You keep your lamb. You grab it on day 10. You're gonna keep it till day 14. I went to public school. That's four days, all right? Just so you know. Four days you're gonna keep this lamb. And when the whole assembly on the 14th day is going to then at twilight, literally between the evenings, it's between three and 5 p.m., you're gonna kill the lamb. You're gonna kill the lamb. You're gonna take the lamb, some of its blood. They're gonna put it in a little basin is what verse 21 says. You're gonna get a, a branch called hyssop, which is just a, a, a flower that grows real prevalent in that area. It's a spring flower. You're gonna dip the, the hyssop in the basin of blood and you're going to apply it to three spots on the door, on the lintel and above right, on the sides and the doorposts and on the lintel. It looks just something like this. Very simple. You're going to do that with this lamb. And here's why. I am going to pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast and all the gods. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And this blood is going to be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, when God sees the blood, I will pass over, which is why this feast, becomes called Passover. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike Egypt. So God says this, judgment is coming. It's coming for everybody, Hebrew, Egyptian, everybody, even the dogs and the cows and the little canaries and the little everything, your little hamster, everything. And the only way to escape the ultimate power coming through to judge, here's the irony, the only way to stop the judgment of almighty God is to take the humblest, weakest, mildest animal possible, a little lamb, little fluffy the lamb, and kill it, roast it, eat it, and apply the blood to the door. And when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over you. Judgment, pass over you, you'll be safe. Third snapshot. You say, "Great history lesson." I'm gonna go get the DVD, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Maybe even Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey Part Two. All right. Don't go get either one. So, what does this have to do with Easter? I mean, what does this have to do with what we're talking about? I mean, why is this great? Why is this our story? Let's, let's think. Let's put our little thinking caps on just a little bit. First part. Where were we at the beginning? Jesus himself, who in the second place, we found out Jesus is the son of God. And, and John says Jesus is the lamb of God. So the lamb of God, the son of God, in that very first scene when they're walking down the road says the Messiah, the Christ had to suffer. He had to. This is what Moses, who we just saw, by the way, said. This is what the prophets All said, the Messiah had to suffer. The lamb had to suffer. Why? Because just like the Egyptians and the Hebrews, everyone was under judgment. Just like the Hebrews were enslaved and they wanted to be out and they wanted to go to the promised land and they wanted to have hope, but they couldn't do it on their own. The only way for them to get free was the blood of the lamb. Just like the Hebrews were enslaved, y'all, this is why Jesus goes back to show this is the way it's always been. We have been enslaved, not by people, but by sin. That you were enslaved to sin because all have sinned. You say, well, I don't know if I've sinned. You just lied, right? You did. You got mad at your kids on the way here because the tie was crooked and because they spilled the oatmeal and you kicked the dog. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what we deserve for our sin, the wages of sin is death. It's judgment, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us, every single one has turned to his own way. And so what does the Lord do? The Lord lays on him. Who's him? The lamb of God, the iniquity of us all, right? Their only hope for freedom, the escape judgment was a lamb. Our only hope for freedom to escape judgment is a lamb. And what I want you to see today is this. This has always been the plan. The plan has always been a lamb. I mean, that's why Jesus goes back to the beginning. He says, Moses, prophet, it's always been a lamb. The Bible has been narrowing down from Genesis all the way to the Gospels who that lamb was. And there's this progression. If you study the whole Bible, really, it's about the lamb. And so the first time you see this idea of a lamb, you see Isaac and Abraham and Abraham is called to sacrifice his son. He doesn't want to, but he's called to do it. And, 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 and Isaac's like, dad, we got the firewood and we got the fire and we got the knife. Where's the lamb? Abraham, Abraham tells him, God will provide a lamb. Sure enough, they get on top of the mountain and God provides one lamb to save Isaac, one for one. Next time you see a lamb is right here, Passover. You have one lamb for one family it's a little bit bigger, doesn't it? Next time you see a lamb, you see the idea of the day of atonement for the nation of Israel, where one lamb took the place for the entire nation, and they'd sacrifice it. Do you know where the next time you see a lamb is? Behold the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. See the progression? One to one, then one for a family, then one for a nation, now one for humanity. It's and, it's, and John is identifying, there he is. It's, it's the whole Old Testament has been kind of narrowing it down to, there he is, the lamb who took away the sin. And, and here's the even greater picture, y'all, that their lamb, that Passover lamb, Paul says that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed in 1 Corinthians 5. Their lamb is the same as our lamb. Their lamb was a male. Our lamb was a male. Their lamb had to be perfect. Our lamb was perfect. Even his executioner said, surely this man was innocent. Their lamb, they had to hold it for four days. So they observed that it was perfect. Our lamb has four gospels. You can learn all about him and you can see his life and see that he was perfect, right? Their lamb was killed on the Passover. Our lamb was killed on the Passover. Their lamb was killed at twilight on the Passover. Our lamb was killed at twilight on the Passover. Their lamb was, the blood was spread on the wood of the door. Our lamb was spread the blood on the cross, the wood of the cross. Their lamb, they had to apply the blood with a a branch of hyssop. Our lamb drank wine or sour wine or was offered sour wine on a branch of hyssop. Our lamb was born in Bethlehem. The lambs that were used for the Passover in this day, you know where they were raised? Bethlehem our lamb came riding into is Jerusalem on Palm Sunday we looked at it last week the Passover lambs in that day were driven into Jerusalem you know what day on Palm Sunday it this is only something God could do it's always been about the lamb the plan has always been a lamb you know what the plan has not ever been be good be nice. Work hard. Can you imagine? Moses says, to "Everybody, kill the lamb, put the blood, blah, blah blah blah." And one of the Israelites says, "How about I just be kind? I think I'll be all right if I just take my wife on a date. I'm just gonna go on a date, and I'll be kind to my kids, and God will pass over." God wasn't giving options. He didn't say, "Oh yeah 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 yeah, go on a date with your wife or do the lamb thing. Your call." You'll be fine either way," he said. "You gotta have a lamb." And some of us, so we come in this morning. We're like, "I'm good. I have my bow tie on. I got up the first try this morning, y'all. You should be proud of me. So that's a miracle. I, I, I'm a good person. I went to church on Easter. I give my money. I'm kind to my wife. Paid my taxes before April 15. I'm a good guy. There's nothing wrong with being a good guy. But you know what? You still need a lamb. You still need a lamb. You so "Why is I have great faith. God, God will pass over me because I have great faith. I don't even know what that means. But I'll tell you this. It's not the size and the greatness of your faith that saves you. I, I can imagine in that day, there was a lot of different size of faith in, in that first Passover. You got guys around the table eating this lamb. You got Mr. Jones and Mr. Brown. There's two very Jewish families, all right? And, and they're talking to each other. And Mr. Jones says, Mr. Brown, I am scared to death. Why, Mr. Brown? Bruh, have you not been looking around lately? Sand gnats? That's why we're cursed, just so you know. I, Nile Red, darkness, boils, frogs, locusts. And now this? Are you crazy? Why am I scared? I am a firstborn my wife, she's a firstborn. I got a, I got a son, he's got a, he's got a wife. She's a firstborn. They got a, I got two grandkids. I got a grand. Bruh, I'm scared. Well, have you put the blood on the door? Oh, yeah, we got that. Did you, you're eating the le- Yeah, we got that. Well, I say, bring it on. I'm not scared. You're better than me. At the end of the night, which, who, who, who survived? Who was passed over? The answer is both of them. Why? Because it's not the greatness of their faith that saves them. It's the blood of the lamb that is over them. It's not the size of your faith. Jesus says, you just, what's the size of my, I need the faith of a mustard seed. It's not the size of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your, for your faith and the object of your faith, if it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then it is enough. If it's in you being nice, How nice you gotta be. That's why it shatters all our confidence, y'all. It shatters anything we might trust in except the lamb because it's all what he has done. John, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so I'd ask you this morning, do you believe in the lamb? Are you under the blood of the lamb? Are you trusting in something else? You say, well, I'll be good. I, I, I'll get around, I, I always do. The most powerful man in the world at that time couldn't escape the judgment of God, Pharaoh. How do you think we're going to do? You gotta have a lamb. You gotta have a lamb, right? And there's, you, well, there, you know, I'll, I'll find a way, there's another way. There is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. Our lamb said himself that he was the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Gotta have a lamb. Gotta have a lamb. He said, I don't even know. How do you even know, Bill, that this is true? I mean, you weren't there, and it's true. I don't have a phone booth that travels in time. Wish I did, I don't. So how do you know it's true then? Only one reason. Only got one reason why I know it's true. Because Jesus, our lamb, came back to life. Because our lamb did not stay dead. Our lamb came out of the grave and when he did, he was proclaimed to be, Romans one, the son of God, which by the way is what God already told him he was, in power through the resurrection. His, his resurrection proves that everything he said was true, that, that who the son has set free is free indeed. He has declared that by the power of the resurrection. And where this ties back even to Exodus and even to the plagues is this. In each plague, God was defeating and overthrowing the gods of Egypt. They had a God of every, they had a frog God, they had a Nile God, they had a blood God, they had had a, a sun God, even Pharaoh was God. And God was systematically overthrowing every one of their gods with every plague and defeating the enemy of Israel. At the cross and at the empty tomb, Jesus has defeated the final enemy. You know what it is? Death. He defeated death, he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and he has risen, which is why I wear a tie. It is why we celebrate. It is why if Jesus is not alive, you are wasting your time, but he is alive. He came out of the grave. And just like they, he tells them in Exodus, I want you to remember this every year. Every year I want you to remember this. Every year I wear a tie to remember that I am free. And back then they did the same thing. They, Jesus, God said to them, when you go in the land and your kids climb up in your lap and they say, Daddy, why do we do this? Well, Johnny comes up and he said to Johnny, Johnny, we do this because we were slaves and now we are free. We were dead and now we're alive. And you know who really, I bet, got this more than anybody? That first generation and that person that was the firstborn." If you're like the third born, you're like, I don't like my older brother anyway. Yeah, you're right? <laughs> Yo, mom, let's erase that blood, right? But if you are the first born and you were part of that generation, what do you remember? You remember bringing that lamb into your house and you remember caring for that lamb and that lamb slept at your feet and it was there during dinner and you pet it and you remember that. And then on that 14th day, you remember when your dad took it out and had to kill it. And I bet there was some significance there with Fluffy the lamb died so that I could live. Fluffy died so I could live. And what I want you to feel is the weight of that because you're the firstborn. And the lamb took your place willingly that your father God sent his son. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I got three sons and a daughter. I would never give any of them for any of you. I love y'all, but I don't love you that much. I would never send one of my kids for you. Our father sent his son for you to die so that you would not face the coming judgment. And I want you to feel the weight of that so that you can rejoice as those who have been freed, whom the son has set free is free indeed. I want you this morning to behold the lamb of God who doesn't one day take away, who has taken away your sin if you believe in him. I want you to rejoice like these people. I want you to see it. Can you see it? Not because someone told you, not because it's a commercial in your mind that you know he died for me. That frees you to worship and sing. And you know what I love back in Luke 24 is these guys, these two blind guys, they they don't see it, they finally get it. You know when they get it? They finish their seven mile walk. They're like, dude, this guy knows a lot of stuff. They sit down at dinner and, and Jesus takes the lead. He takes the bread, he prays because God leads the prayer when he's in the room, all right? Uh, and so Jesus prays and then he breaks the bread and it's the same language of the Lord's supper when Jesus prays and breaks the bread and it's like, boom, their eyes are open. They're like, whoa, dude, Jesus. And all of a sudden Jesus goes, boop, gone. And what do they do? They run seven miles back to Jerusalem excited, and they tell the disciples, We saw Jesus. And as soon as they turn around, Jesus is there to, like, There he is. And they're pumped because he's alive. The lamb is alive. Can you see it? Do you know it? One more stop in our phone booth, and then we'll worship. Good, I'm late. Great day in the morning. Bade you guys wait. I'll make the 1115ers wait too. Um, The end of days. Our phone booth doesn't just go backwards, it goes forwards. Let me take you to heaven and let me show you something. In Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. There's the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Only those whose names are written in the lamb spoke of life. A few verses later, there will no longer be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. That's where it's all going. It's not just the lamb back there. It is the lamb up there. He will be the light. He will be on the throne and his servants will worship those whose name is written in the lamb's book. And I would ask you this morning, are you a worshiper of the lamb? Is your name written in his book? You say, I don't know. Have you put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins? That's how you know, right? I would invite you, if you have never done that, come talk to me, grab one of the guys with a a name tag, call a church, we'll set up an appointment. We'd love to sit down and talk with you about the lamb who was slain. And if you are a believer, this is where you're going. This is where we're gonna be worshiping. So why not start now? Y'all sang okay, first set. I'll in the back. Sing like he's alive. Worship the lamb who is slain. Why don't you stand let's pray and let's worship. Lord Jesus, you have paid our sin. You've paid it all. I pray as we worship now, as we reflect on that, just make it real for us. May we see it fresh. May we see our need. May we love you, our savior. Uh, Thank you for paying it all. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.